0: What are you going to do, Commissioner? There's only one thing we can do. Sir,
1: it's the bat phone. Yes, Commissioner. Batman? We'll be right there.
2: Biff Bam Pow, this is Batman Land. Each week we talk about the 1966 Batman TV show, discussing the episodes to air this week on SBS Viceland. Yeah, be careful, maybe a trap. My name is Dan Barrett, and I'm joined this week by my pal, Fiona Williams. Fiona, how are you doing?
0: Very well, thank you. We're Batman and Robin, the crime fighters.
2: Ready for season two? That's it, this is an exciting moment. We've got season two happening. I mean, it's been so long since season one. Oh, the memories. Cast your mind back to last week. People may remember that we kicked off the series with season one and had in John Boehm. He's the programmer for SBS Viceland, channel manager, I believe is his actual job title. Now, he got very upset at me a few weeks ago when I referred to Mark Humphreys as our first returning guest. We have, in fact, actually had two. John's been on the show twice now. We got the fact-checking department onto that. Well, the fact-checking department was just John having a big whinge at me. But anyway, John, it's okay, because we've decided not to bring you back for the beginning of season two. Instead, we've gone to a gentleman who sits right next to John at work, a member of the programming team. We've got Chris Fagans. Hello. Now, Chris, it is great to have you here, because the entire podcast is really the result of you...
1: That's absolutely true. Yeah. Yes. I made the very initial suggestion to do it and have continued to take all the credit for your guys' hard work. Since.
0: <laughs> so we thought, you know, we'll wait a season, then yeah. we'll ask you
1: on. Absolutely. Special guest, I yeah. figure. Yeah.
2: So why does this podcast exist?
1: Why does this podcast exist? Uh, Sorry, I never
2: talked to Chris, so here's the opportunity.
1: <laughs> uh, this podcast exists because I offhandedly told a joke that it might be a funny idea, which John, the channel manager, really, really ran with.
2: And, you know, it's born a life of its own from there, right? Yeah. Like, was there a reason why you thought it'd make for a good podcast? Because there's other podcasts based on TV shows. Like, I've been responsible for a press gang one a few years ago, but there's also been, you know, there's a popular Gilmore Girls podcast and a few like that. Was that kind of what got you thinking about it?
1: Yeah, I think there's obviously a huge amount of nostalgia associated with the series that I think the podcast can really tap into. And I think there's just a great affection for it. People remember it really, really fondly. And... While they remember it, I think, in a general sense, maybe the specificity isn't there with certain, uh, like, episodes. So going back to the particular episodes and remembering moments from those and, and characters and villains in particular that, you know, might have been forgotten over time, I think is a really fun and engaging way.
2: Now, before John forced Batman onto All of Our Wives... How do you watch the show? Like is this the first time you actually watched 66 Batman?
1: I've seen a little bit of it, I think. I I think I've seen the Batman movie, like I have a distinct memory of as a child having a VHS tape, I think, of the Batman movie, so I was definitely aware of the Adam West incarnation, but I I hadn't seen it on a regular basis, so it's been quite quite an eye opener for me.
2: And do you remember the first Batman film you watched? I'm guessing that you're maybe like a Kilmer or a Clooney age? It would
1: have been Clooney. Yeah. But I have a very complex relationship with that film <laughs> because I was—I think Batman and Robin came out when I was seven, I believe—and it terrified me. And specifically, mm. Poison Ivy was the the scariest thing I had ever seen in my life to that point. I have the most vivid memory of—I think I saw it in the movies with my parents, sitting on the edge of my bunk bed, like bawling my eyes out because I thought. Poison Ivy was out to get me. Aww. So I'm gonna say it ruined Batman for quite some time and potentially my relationships with women for like <laughs> for a more significant amount of time uh, Poison Ivy has to thank for that. So I'm gonna say yeah Batman and Robin was, would
2: have been the first one and then probably into the Nolans Nolan's exactly. Shall we kick things off? We're going to talk about the first episodes of season two. We've got two episodes featuring, I think, everyone's favourite villain, the Archer. (laughs) Now, I have to say, I've been reasonably familiar with the Batman show before we started the podcast, and I kind of knew most of the villains, and I've got the set on Blu-ray, so I've sort of watched them on and off over the time. But you never sort of open up a box set and go, I'm going to go straight to the Archer episodes. And so I don't think I've ever seen these episodes. And when I was watching them, there's probably definitely a good reason for it. (laughs) Now, Fiona was sitting next to me as I was watching it in the office and I was groaning my way through the first half, but then I think my demeanour changed because the second half of it, I came alive. I was well into this by the time it ended.
0: I can confirm this, yes. Watching Dan watch it (laughs) was quite a thing.
2: He watched it before I did. So uh,
0: yeah, yay verily. This one is a
2: doozy. Yeah, so Fiona, what goes on in these two
0: episodes? Ooh Lordy. Um so a crack marksman with a Robin Hood complex.
2: I'm gonna ride from the rich and get to the poor.
0: Robs a stately Wayne Manor and distributes the money to Gotham City's poorest citizens. You're all So when Batman tries to bring him in... That archer sure is a tough cookie, Batman. It's the Cape crusader who becomes persona non grata. I beg your pardon. But before long, it becomes clear that the archer's motives aren't all that pure. A fine budget. And in a daring heist, he makes off with $10 million from the Wayne Foundation. $10 million in crisp new $100 bills. With a little help from a highly suspicious financial officer. I was to alert you to the location of the money, and you were to cut me So in. they flee to the high seas. Make the barnacles pump the bills, we scurvy crew. With the bat boat in hot pursuit. To the bat boat via Batmobile. And then we settle in for a swashbuckling showdown. What dost thou make of it, fellas?
1: I enjoyed it. I liked it. I thought it was ridiculous in parts, but there were some really nice touches that <laughs> I thought were very nice. That The ye old English, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the Poweth and <laughs> Wacketh, um, I thought was a nice touch. Uh, the Robin Hood... I don't want to say motifs because that's more subtle than it actually was. I think he was just Robin Hood, right? Yeah. Um, yeah pretty much. I think it
0: was a rights thing they couldn't call him Robin Hood.
1: It definitely well, I noticed at one point the Huntington, they had turned into Huntington. They changed one letter in one of the titles, which I presume was a copyright issue. Has to be. It has to.
2: Yeah, I do love the ye oldie fight scene with the Zapperth, the Oxeth and the Wamoth, mm-hmm. which I thought was just fantastic. Mm. Now, there's a lot of sneezing powder and stuff going on throughout the episode, and I didn't really quite dig on that so much. When he was firing the arrows, it was like sneezing powder. Which there were all sorts of people. Fiona's looking at me weird. Oh, I
0: don't remember the sneezing powder. Oh, there to was be all honest.
1: sorts of like crazy arrows going. Look, I'm no archer, but I think there was some <laughs> shenanigans going on with the arrows because I, I, I take uh, umbrance with the <laughs> idea of a crooked arrow that shoots around a corner too.
0: Yeah, that's quite a nifty gadget.
2: Okay, so you refer to the Robin Hood origins of the character. Yeah. Yeah, trademarked. Uh, but I think what's actually going on here is I've taken inspiration from the Green Arrow character from the DC comics. So Green Arrow is well known for having his trick arrows. So he's regularly got arrows which will have gases come out of them or fires around corners and all that kind of gear. So it's almost a shame that they didn't have Green Arrow as a bad guy in it maybe and possibly use that as a possibility for like a spin-off or some sort of recurring character. I think that would have been fun. Yeah, mm. it, it might have been better than Robin Hood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, and I thought, yeah, it is a, he's a strange villain to kick off a new series, I mm. think, yeah, but
2: anyway. Yeah. I mean, it is coming off the feature film where you had all the major villains come back. So that's the Penguin, Riddler, nah, the Joker and Catwoman. So maybe you can't quite come back straight away with that. We do have the Catwoman next week, though, so that's something. Um, When the show opens, because there's been the incident at Stately Wayne Manor, and Bruce Wayne's getting a statement taken by Chief O'Hara, and I really sort of took umbrage at this, because you've got the further proof of the privilege being afforded the Gotham City wealthy uh, people, because an ordinary citizen is not going to have the chief of police there taking the statement. Like, aren't we a bit concerned about this? Ah, look, I think we're just cynical now. We've seen it all.
1: Absolutely, Gotham's a strange place where, you know, odd things like that happen or, yeah.
0: And on on the flip side, when um, the Arrow distributes the money, where did all these villagers come from, from Gotham City? Did you see in their rags? (laughs) (laughs) It's unusual. That's a a quarter of Gotham we haven't seen before. Well, see, I was... Straight from Oliver.
2: Sorry, just in my standard thing, which Fiona's tired of at work now, but recently I was in New York City. Oh, Um, were you? I was. Tell us more, Dan. (laughs) But no, there was an interesting thing and I hadn't really appreciated the uh, amount of time that's passed because you think about the 20th century and you kind of think of it as being sort of more or less like modern you know, society. It's hard to think that things have changed as dramatically as it has. But I was learning about the construction of the uh, Rockefeller Plaza and the centre surrounding it. And I was saying that when that building was first constructed, just two blocks away, there was a complete disparity of wealth where this big, gorgeous building being constructed, but just that block and a bit away was like the poorest members of the city. So like they're really just sort of not that far away, but outside of the eyesight that you'd usually find around this building. So maybe Gotham's exactly the same. I mean, this is 1960s. That's not too far removed from when Rockefeller Plaza went up, which I think is like the 20s or 30s. So maybe Gotham is just this place where there are these poor villages around the place, but not necessarily regularly seen in a Batman TV show.
1: I take your point. But they're also horses, yeah. Which I feel like were were not around in New York City and, in the '60s. And it
0: was the peasant tops more, and the yeah, the police sir, "I want some more kind of vibe of the yeah, whole yeah, thing."
1: Yeah. Okay, fine, be like that. right.
2: We love your New York I anecdote. Loved it.
1: Yeah, the, the intellectualizing <laughs> of it.
2: Now, now, when I was in Los Angeles, no. ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, ridiculous. And uh, now, one of the things I do like in the show is you'll occasionally get guest stars when Batman and Robin are doing their building climbs. Here they didn't climb up the building; they were climbing down the building, and we got a celebrity appearance by one Dick Clark, which means so much to Australian audiences. Ask your parents, <laughs> kids, <laughs> was Dick Clark even a thing in Australia for you know older generations? Like uh, he was on Bandstand, was his big thing in the US? He hosted Dick Clark's New York Rock and Eve which happened every year at New Year's Eve, strangely enough. Uh, he died just a couple of years ago. But he's appearing in this, and there's a really strange line where Batman is talking to him and said something about how... You dipped your diphthong. Because people from Philadelphia are known for that. What is a diphthong? I have no idea. Great. It uh, got lost on me. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it's better without context. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So if anyone knows, like, leave a message on Twitter, <laughs> hashtag Batmanland. And we'll figure that out because I've got no idea.
1: I actually thought he is just a genius piece of cross-promotion, right? <laughs> and I think we should be incorporating the same idea into more of our SBS dramas if possible.
0: Oh, look, you are full of excellent ideas, right. Chris. Right.
1: Like, I think Jenny Brockie turning up in one of our one of our dramas would go would go really, really well. Yeah, as long as she's got a dip thumb going that, on. That's it, that's yeah. it,
2: obviously. Which obviously not from Philadelphia, yeah. but I believe here from Wollongong have that. I, I don't know where Jenny Brockie's from. Wollongong was an interesting place to go then. That's the first thing that came to mind. Sure. (laughs) It was the funniest name I could think of. (laughs) Uh, So Barbara Nichols played the maid. Now, she was at some stage in her life a beauty contestant and she was crowned not only just Miss Long Island, she was also Miss Dill Pickle, Miss Milk of 1953 and Miss Welder of 1953. So that's quite the illustrious career.
0: It really is. But also she's in Sweet Smell of Success, if you know that film. Yeah, she's the cigarette girl Rita, has a great scene with Tony Curtis. Um, You know, I love her work and I love her maid Marilyn. Yeah, She stands out because quite often... (laughs) The women in, in Batman don't get a lot to do when mm. they're the sidekick, but here she partially answers the question of whatever happened to baby Jane because there's a bit of a resemblance. But she's a complex <laughs> lady with a healthy appetite. Yeah. Um,
2: well, because... she is seen at the very beginning with some trucker food, like some big fried chicken okay. that she's yeah. stuffing I count.
1: I counted this. On four different occasions during over the two episodes, she's eating fried chicken. It's all she eats.
0: There's, oh, there is a seafood <laughs> extender scene. But, okay. yes,
1: it's it's the chicken. Like, why is she constantly eating? <laughs> <laughs> Can we dig into that at all? Is there a message in that? I
0: don't know. And but she also likes foreign pictures because they talk like the people in the foreign pictures. True.
1: So she's a complex human. She really
0: is, and I love her work. So alright already. You wanna break your arm?
2: Pattern yourself on-
1: no, I really liked the fact that she wasn't a shrinking violet. She, she gave it to the archer as good as he gave it to her. I wish you guys would quit talking so funny. Now,
2: can we talk about the archer briefly here? We probably should go in depth. He's the villain for this week. I kind of looked at the archer and I'm thinking maybe he's a bit of a Donald Trump type figure. So there's a thing with a character. Go on. No, yeah. it, it works out here. So he's a character where, I mean, much like Robin Hood, it's very much about the idea of representing the disenfranchised members of the community, which Trump kind of builds his platform on, for better or worse. Okay, but the thing Worse. that made me think that it was yeah, absolutely well, the thing that made me think that it was very Trump-like was that the archer also has this weird thing where he gets one of his henchmen to walk around with a large box that will generate applause and <laughs> laughter any time of which he's you know given some sort of statement, and that to me seems very Trump-like. Mm. I can Quite definitely right.
1: see that. Yeah, I can yeah. see him walking around in Trump Tower. <laughs> I knew
2: I'd bring you around on that one. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you sold it.
2: Now the archer was played by Art Carney. Now, Art Carney, I don't really know for a lot of his film work, but the things that I know him from was he had a role, and sure, you could look at him being in the Batman show here as maybe not a career highlight, but he wasn't a Star Wars holiday special. So, you know, maybe consider that as well. Uh, but what I know him from, and this definitely not career highlights for him, uh, he played Santa Claus in the Santa Claus movie, which Fiona, you're a film person, surely you remember that classic.
0: Well, i mean- this is a very one-to-miss if you look at Art Carney's uh, IMDB <laughs> listing, I must say. But this is
2: me. This is my experience with him. He has about 70 credits on He's that He's got IMDb. an Oscar. Yeah.
0: He's got a Best Actor Oscar.
2: We'll get to that. But is that as exciting as playing Frank, the usher in Last Action Hero? Fair point. Yeah, true. Yeah.
0: And um, I'd take that
1: over the Academy Award. Exactly. Right.
0: <laughs> well, the <laughs> fact is, he got that Oscar in over Jack Nicholson in Chinatown, Albertino Godfather 2, Albert Finney for Murder on Your Own Express, and Dustin Hoffman for playing Lenny Bruce in Lenny. So, this was in 1975, and it's always down as one of those so Oscar the film mistakes. Got it for? <laughs> That's a very good question because you may have to scratch your head.
2: Because I know all those other movies. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, well, if I say the words Harry and Tonto,
2: I couldn't hear you pass the tumbleweeds rolling glass. Yeah, past. exactly.
0: Um, so it's a story of a road trip from an old man and his cat.
1: Sounds like traditional Oscar bait. <laughs> totally,
0: totally. Uh, yeah. No, this was in 1975 and it was, it's considered like one of the big, what? Oscar wins. Um, yeah.
1: Do we consider this as his launch off to Oscar stardom <laughs> in that case?
0: I mean, he was doing all the spade work for right, that I'm going to say here. it
1: was like a short nine years later. <laughs> He wins an Oscar. I don't think that's a coincidence.
0: Yeah. I mean, sure, it was for Harry and Tonto, but we know it was for The Archer.
2: Absolutely. Now, while we are talking about some of the actors, I do want to point out the gentleman who played the Friar Tuck type henchman. This is his actual name (laughs) Doodles Weaver.
1: Egad, we are on the verge of incarceration. Amazing.
2: Uh, Doodles (laughs) Weaver. Is that a stage name? uh, I'd presume so. (laughs) I
1: presume not. Yeah. Because it makes me
2: happier if it's not. Uh, let Doodles. He was a character actor. He performed in quite a few things. He also died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, oh, which is a bit of a sad a way to go way out. To bring the mood, oh. <laughs> But he was oh. very funny in this. That he's not the stand a chance. Not a smidgen.
1: Um, fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> he was also Sigourney Weaver's uncle.
2: Really? What?
1: Really? That is that is very genuine. Uncle Doodles. <laughs> it's yeah, <laughs> yes, Uncle Doodles. <laughs>
0: But in this, he's very memorable because he uh, hooks up the uh, tunic to stash the cash when they do the raid on Stately Wayne Manor and runs off because he doesn't have the legs to quite (laughs) pull that off. (laughs) But
2: nonetheless... Look, while we're talking about legs, maybe we should talk about the cliffhanger at the end of the episode here. (laughs) Batman and Robin are tied up against a large post each. Uh, There's a jousting situation going with um, (laughs) the archer and his henchmen charging at them with their jousting sticks. Batman and Robin, obviously, it looked very... I didn't know how we were going to get out of they it. They were done for. They were done for. We come back, beginning of part two, and we find out that, and this where their leg uh, segue comes into this, they managed to get away by activating their bat springs and bouncing off the posts.
0: With a boy yo yeah. sound effect.
2: Now, as soon as this happened, suddenly it went from a two-parter that I had little interest in where I was completely <laughs> on board at this stage because they're standing around, getting used to, like, standing on the ground again <laughs> after mm. their little spring incident. Yeah. And you still hear like the little boing boing boings. I know
0: it's the little things like that. But is this the first appearance of the Bat Springs?
2: Uh definitely, and quite and the last, the last I know. <laughs> I hope they continue. <laughs> I
1: hope they continue. Um, just previous to that, yeah. I want to point out the appearance of the bat knife, which I presume has made an appearance in previous episodes. I haven't
2: seen a bat knife yet. I don't think. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Well, bat bat I don't know if you definitely... actually
1: see it because while they're trapped in the archer's lair, suspended above air in the uh, in the net, mm. yeah. Batman says to Robin, "It's fine. I'm going to cut us out with our bat knife, and then we cut away from the scene and go to something else. When we return, they're both passed out in the net. So the knife has not been effective at all. And either Batman got really, really tired trying to cut out, uh, cut themselves free, or or there was some sort of gas situation going on again.
2: Yeah, he just got again to with the out. gas. Yeah.
0: <laughs> A little continuity area you've picked up there, Chris.
2: I have." I was really, really taken with the performance of Alan A. Dale. He was the guy that was playing the finance head of the Wayne Foundation. Oh, he was. That was the character's name. Um, So the actor, his name was Robert Cornwaith, I think is the actor's name. Now, I actually know him from much later in his career. Uh, he played this character called Howard Boss in the TV show Picket Fences. And it was this really oh. sad character. If you remember Picket Fences, yeah. there was a gentleman who discovered he had Alzheimer's. And he was also mayor of the small town that the show was set in at the time. And it's just this really sad scene with the guy, sort of with the realisation he couldn't really continue to function as the mayor in that town. Hmm. But it was him. And I've known him from that. And, like, it was a really sad, like, performance that stuck with me all this time. And to watch him in this, where it is not exactly the most nuanced performance by any means, <laughs> it was really quite the surprise. There's a great moment where Batman and Robin walk into the office, and he looks at them both, and even his sort of not quite under his breath sort of murmur that he seems to do, he ends up advising Batman.
0: I like that cape,
1: Batman. Very chic. <laughs> His a little wash bit... and wear, I think, was immediately <laughs> yeah. followed by that.
0: That's right. Little dish.
1: We're not here to discuss my wardrobe, Mr Dale.
2: Something that's weird in this episode is there's the two security guards of whom go and investigate what's happened. Just post the uh, archer firing off the arrows that go around the corner. And yes, money ended up not being stolen, but like a crime took place of sorts. But like the security guards checked out the situation, they assessed what was going on, they checked to see if a crime had taken place, they were doing their jobs. And we've never really seen that from a lot of security guards or law enforcement through the Batman TV series. And that really surprised me quite a bit. Somebody's
0: stealing the money. I know, I know. Well, it's funny you should say that. I mean, A, they also didn't check what was in the bags because it was some funny money. But That's anyway, point. the... Emphasis on figures of authority actually doing their jobs. There is an extended sequence of a policeman explaining why Batman and Robin get to speed when a motorist complains. (laughs) How come they get to be lead foots and I don't? And it goes on a bit.
1: It's about two minutes. It was incredible.
2: There's cutaways. One of my favourite parts of this episode, the cop advises that not only is Batman probably investigating a crime while he's doing this, but when he's not involved in a (laughs) high-speed chase, he drives more safely than anyone else and in his off hours, he teaches driver safety. He's a Yeah, so it puts her in a
1: place. <laughs> lectures in driver safety. Can you imagine, like, turning up to your L-plate exam and Batman rocking up?
2: Or maybe you've got a DUI and you've got the mandated... <laughs> <laughs> of course you have to
1: do. <laughs> Scared straight Batman edition.
2: <laughs> Very much so. I think it's fantastic. If
1: ever you see Batman driving speedily, you can be sure that he is endangering
0: his life to protect yours and mine. Speaking of plots that go nowhere in relation to the bat knife, there is an allusion to a machine that can predict criminal activity. Do you remember that line? I do. And then there's no other reference to it.
1: Well, they'd also already committed at least two robberies at the Wayne Mansion, which, like, seems to fly against the fact that there's a machine that can predict crime happening before it does, right?
2: Correct. And that's very minority report. I was going to say, does he have Agatha buried down somewhere in the bat cave? Never mentioned again. We must seize and destroy said machine or suffer the consequences. Strange.
1: I think it was just deployed to get into the bat cave.
2: Probably. Something that I hope is constantly mentioned again was the opportunity for Alfred to wear the bat costume. Hello. <laughs> Now, this is a moment where I don't remember these episodes at all, but I do have very strong memories as a kid of seeing Alfred getting around in a Batman costume. So I don't know if this happens again throughout the series at some point. One can only hope. I suspect it does. But this plays out magnificently. I was so (laughs) gaga for the way this happened. Was he ever? If you only got to witness it, I was definitely in a very happy place this afternoon while watching it. So you've got Alan Napier. He's wearing the Batman costume. And I don't know if you've noticed, but he's a very slender man. He's also maybe about 45 years older than Adam West. He's not necessarily wearing the costume in the same way. And I think there's two fantastic moments. First of all, you've got just that first shot of seeing him up on the rooftop with Robin.
0: (laughs) I pray our deception succeeds, Master Robin. Just... Puff up your chest and look virile,
2: Alfred. Okay, and, like, that was great in itself. But then when Bruce Wayne and Batman have to be seen in the same place at the same time, you've got the scene where Bruce runs around the corner and Robin's expecting him to quickly put on his Batman costume and go back out. But he's like, look, we don't have time for that. He probably says, chum. And he ends up convincing Alfred to go out there and he gives him a voice modulator to sound exactly like Batman would, as Bruce Wayne. Um, So he's looking at it and he says oh, look, this would be great to hide my moustache as well. As though that's the only thing that's going to give him away. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. And then he gets around the corner and Commissioner Gordon's looking at him and he's staying out the distance because he's got a cold. Just
0: uh, like Batman,
2: always thinking of his fellow man. Not a greater moment on the show. He's
0: he's thinking on his feet.
1: Batman (laughs) chucked a sickie. I think is what we've what we've come to. Why won't you come closer? It's because I've got a cold.
0: Yeah.
2: Always thinking of everyone else. That's it. Also, during that sequence, when Adam West was getting around and he's there as, you know, citizen Bruce Wayne, I really liked the way that he was sort of holding himself. And at that point, I wish Adam West was a bigger deal generally. Mm-hmm. So we kind of know Adam West and a bit of a sad story in that he played Bruce Wayne Batman and was typecast as that. Couldn't really find any jobs since then. Well, I mean, he was always in things, but it was always under that pretense of being that guy that was in Batman. But, like, looking at this, like, he was a cool-looking guy. I kind of wanted to see him in more, like, mid-60s film. A bit of a mod dude sort of getting around. Just, he, could know, have been the he could have been the saint. He could have been the saint. He could have been the saint. And, like, it's just such a shame we never really got that.
0: Yeah.
2: And this is the first time that really resonated with me.
0: Society's loss, I suppose.
2: Absolutely. Right towards the end of the episode, there's a really interesting shot where they get into the Batboat so they can go and, you know, stop the criminals from getting away. Now, that sequence when they're running towards the Batboat, that's actually just footage taken straight from the movie. (laughs) So people have probably watched that in cinemas just before seeing the episode. But, yeah, it's the exact same footage. Like, it's not an alternate take. It's just the two of them running down the same pier, getting to the same boat, heading off. But I did like when you see Batman and Robin get onto the boat at the other side. They do have, like, a bit of the boat sort of come floating on past. (laughs) Nice (laughs) touch. Yeah.
1: The prop budget. (laughs) The Batboat was a welcome addition. Mm. After, After some suspect technology had come to pass previously in the episode aka bat knife and crooked arrows and i'm gonna say bat springs were suspect hey 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 it, look uh show me the physics on that and <laughs> then i'll start to agree with you uh but the bat boat what, looked cool like i i was very impressed by the bat boat
2: yeah you could see yourself cruising around the sydney harbour with that next week
1: absolutely yeah absolutely
2: Something that we probably should mention is we are in the beginning of a brand new season and there's a different change in the production this year where usually when there's a fight scene going on and there's the biffs and the powers and the kablowies and the thwacks, the words are across the screen and usually on top of the action. This year, well, this season, there's actually a change where they're not over the top of the action, but there's actually colour cards that come up. So it's no longer superimposed on the action. It's like a separate card. So, I thought it was kind of a bit of a strange choice to launch with an episode which is actually subverting that entirely with the Zapoths, the Whamoths, and the you know, Powoths. Mm. Chris, I want to talk to you maybe a little bit about Batman. So, we all come to Batman with our own, I guess, life experience and views as to who Batman is. So, when I look at Batman, I get very excited by the character because he's one of the few superheroes that I think really acknowledges the ridiculousness of being a superhero. So you've got a character of whom is completely out there, wearing ridiculous costumes, fighting people in equally ridiculous costumes, but he's also slightly grounded and you can kind of get a sense of the fact that he's a real person with complete madness surrounding him. And to me, I just comes to Batman that way. And it's it's always a joy watching Batman. But Chris, what is it about Batman you like? Like maybe it's just the Batman you came to or something?
1: I think so. I think so. After my, you know, poor experience with Batman and Robin, I kind of (laughs) cast that from the memory early on and... Came in essentially to Christian Bale's Batman, I think. And what I really loved about him was the complexity. That quite a contrast to you, actually. I mm. like the complexity that he took as a superhero character. He wasn't he wasn't necessarily good all of the time, or you know, there is always the famous line of you know the hero that we deserve, but what not that we need. I liked the seriousness of it, to be honest, um, much more than the ridiculousness, and that it, I felt like it it took the the comic book genre in a different direction to where it had been previously where often it was it was quite light-hearted this was a very uh, a serious movie with serious implications and consequences and views on morality and that sort of thing
2: and it's kind of interesting because you look at the movies coming out so Batman Begins was 2005 i think 2004 2005 yeah. And so we're looking at very much a post-September 11 Batman, who's incredibly serious and dealing with the serious issues at the time. But maybe that's the thing with Batman, where Batman really is a character that reflects quite heavily the time that the films are out in. So the 1960s, obviously, it's, you know, coming close to like the Vietnam War, but Mm -hmm. we're looking at the rejection of the sort of um, harshness of World War II America was coming a bit of a brighter place and sort of starting to head towards a darker sort of an area where things became more, uh, I guess, politically complex might be the way to discuss it. And the Batman show kind of reflects that. Then you get into the 90s with Michael Keaton where it sort of starts a bit post-Reagan, but then as Chris comes along, there's like the brighter sort of <laughs> more exciting films where people were, I guess, maybe a bit happier and just wanting something more, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I guess a bit more ridiculous to really sort of dig into. And then, yeah, you do have the you know, very serious Nolan films.
1: Absolutely. I think Batman is a product of his time and I think that that's what makes a really enduring character, right, is the character is able to adapt to the time period that it was created.
0: Do you think our current crop of Batman movies are of our time? The overlong, over-earnest Batman movies that have come out of late? Uh, Are they over-earnest? For me, they are, Yes. I like Affleck as Batman, but within those films... Well, bear
2: in mind, he's only really been in one film properly. Sure. And a little not, bit in It's Wonder not like Wonder a dedicated Woman. Batman film. Well, mm. he's in like one scene in Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't count. Doesn't count.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, I'm not sure that Batman versus Superman reflects so much on Batman of the time period, but maybe where comic book movies are going more generally. Mm. Um, I, and I think Batman Begins was obviously the start of a sequel, but it was intended to be like a bit of a self-contained story, I think, in that it wasn't really... Like, it was set within the Batman universe and the fact that, you know, we're we're seeing the Justice League coming out, that seems to, after the success of The Avengers, uh, comic book movies seem to always want to set up more characters to work within that world.
2: What I find interesting, because you mentioned the Justice League movie, and if you think about the current crop of movies... This may be the first times that the film haven't necessarily reflected what's going on specifically around. So if you watch the first Man of St- the movie Man of Steel and then leading into Superman versus Batman or Batman versus Superman, however mm. which way it goes around, the latter. Uh, when you look at these, like these are films of which are maybe talking a little bit more to the. Um, US right, So we're looking at like the rise of Trump and you've got that going on. Maybe the ethics and the political outlook that the characters, that the films are trying to reflect really do sort of reflect that alt-right in a way that I think superhero films tend to really reflect not so much a conservative viewpoint, but usually a bit more of a liberal dream. And so when you're not really seeing that liberal dream being fulfilled, it doesn't really quite feel authentic to what, are these, what these characters are doing. And so I'm wondering if that's where it's a little bit sort of skewy. And then you see that Justice League movie coming out where it seems like they're trying to retrofit the films to actually reflect a bit more of that liberal dream in a way that I don't think is necessarily true. So what those films have been built on, that structure just seems a little bit flimsy. So maybe that's what we're rebelling against. I don't know, this is a random thought I'm having here.
0: I mean, sure, I might need a little longer uh, to consider that, but... Also, I, I just don't think they're told very well. <laughs> the, uh, the, you that know, doesn't help. First yet. and foremost, yeah. yeah. But the, I uh, think maybe
2: they're not told well because they don't really quite know what they're saying or who they're talking to. Well,
0: sure. Yeah, I mean, Batman, Superman having it all revolve around their mother's name and was a very inelegant way to deal with the tragic backstory of um, Bruce Wayne. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that just was a clumsy way to tell yeah. this. Well, I mean, it is well told elsewhere. It just... It was not handled well in that
2: film. See, I've got no idea with the, I've got no problem with the premise of the Marthas, but I just don't think the execution of it was actually mm. that well handled. Mm. On the show, we do like to discuss the lessons we've learned this week on Batman. Uh, Fiona, what did you learn this week?
0: Sure. Well, mine was in relation to uh, the dubious financial controller, Alan A. Dale. We must make sure that the millions won't end up in the hands of that blagger, Who, you may recall, used a feathery pen in signing all these paperwork. So I just think that was a bit of a dead giveaway. So if you're going to commit grand larceny and subterfuge, use a biro. Or a non-branded
1: pen product.
0: Correct. Use a ballpoint pen.
1: Just not a feather. Yeah, that's. I think that's a general rule. Well,
0: yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we don't need to split hairs here. Just don't use a feather. Yeah,
2: Mr. Fagans, what did you learn this week?
1: I learned that when you steal large amounts of money and replace said money with dummy money, don't put your face on the dummy money because it makes it very obvious who did that, and seems like a good way to
2: get caught to me. It's counterfeit money. They say there's something rotten in Denmark. Now, I learned nothing about what a dip thumb is, so that remains a huge mystery to me. But there was one line from Batman, which I'm going to take away with me, which is that it's always darkest before the dawn. Maybe something important to think about before you leap to your safety with Bat Springs. Whenever someone
1: is trying to joust me while I'm tied <laughs> to a pole, that is immediately where I'll go. <laughs>
2: So this is the end of another Batman Land for another week. We'll be back next week. But first of all, big thanks to Chris Vagans for coming in.
1: Thank you for having me. Um, so thanks, thanks for Chris. gestating this podcast. I will continue to take all of the credit and thank you for all of your hard work in making <laughs> me look
2: a lot better doing so. <laughs> oh, look, we do what we can. And the
0: blame.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm happy to... No, I will not be taking that. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. It's not going to be me. Yeah. Uh, Fiona, thank you very much, as always. Oh, thank you. You're on the Twitter and you engage there a fair bit. Where do we find your Fee? Fi?
0: You can find me at anythingbutfeefee.
2: And you can find me at the Dan Barrett. When you're on the Twitters or your Facebook, leave a hashtag, Batmanland. Helps people follow conversations about Batmanland. And my God, there is so much conversation happening with that <laughs> hashtag. Please, somebody use it. Just once. That's all I'm after. If you like the podcast, and people do like the podcast, I keep hearing very positive things, Leave reviews, helps people find the show, and do that via Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast platform of choice might be. We'll be back next time. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. See you then.